Hello and welcome to Data Driven, the podcast where we explore the emerging field of data science. We bring the best minds in data, software engineering, machine learning and artificial intelligence. Now here are your hosts, Frank Lavinia and Andy Leonard. Hello and welcome to Data Driven, the podcast where we explore the emerging fields of data science, machine learning and artificial intelligence. If you like to think of data as the new oil, then you can consider us, well, like car talk, because we focus on where the rubber meets the road. And with me on this epic journey down the information superhighway, as always, is Andy Leonard. How's it going, Andy? Hey, Frank, it's going well. How are you, sir? I'm doing all right. Um, If you've not been paying attention to our feed uh, last week or two, you've uh, you've been kind of busy racking up them frequent flyer miles. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was, um, I was very fortunate, very blessed to, um, have the opportunity to travel to Auckland, New Zealand for the Definity 2020 conference and, um, presented there a couple times. One was a day long, uh, co-presentation with Sandy Winarco, another Microsoft employee. And, uh, Sandy has a bunch of responsibilities. He's a program manager. One of them is the Azure SSIS integration uh, there in Azure Data Factory. So um, you know this, Frank, because you work there, but I don't know if all of our listeners know that pretty much uh, Microsoft uh, has been reorganized and everybody kind of answers to the uh, the Azure uh, the Azure side. And I would say, I didn't say it, I said everybody. Better way to say that would be the development piece at least. Uh, <laughs> But uh, yeah, you don't, I don't think you answer to the Azure management, but I don't know. Well, I'm in the organization that sells Azure. So if there's not a straight line, there's a dotted line. Gotcha. I would say. But yeah, it was a great trip. Um, Well, it took us about 21 hours to get there and about 21 to get back. Um, uh, But it was much easier for some reason, I, I always I travel easier going west. It's it's very easy for me to adjust. Um, I am we we got back Saturday, and we're recording this on Tuesday, and I'm still struggling uh, with the uh, with jet lag and trying to get myself on a normal sleeping schedule. But we did um, did have an opportunity to do two or three data points. I'm trying to remember. I think I ended up doing three. I think it's three. Yeah. Uh, two, yeah. Yeah, two with people. And so if you go to Facebook, look up Data Driven, and um, you can see the videos there uh, and hear all of the mistakes I made. Frank edited all of those out, I'm pretty sure. Actually, there were hardly any, actually. Oh, wow. It was just the sound. It was actually very easy to edit. So it was just the That's good to hear. That. I was really worried about the, the one where it was just me after we came back from watching the Dolphins. Because I was toasted in more ways than one. Yes, you got a sunburn, right? You, you, you recharged your red neck, right? Is that what they... <laughs> That's right. Yeah, Frank asked me offline after I after he saw the video. He said, is your neck red? And I was like, Frank's been that way for decades. <laughs> uh, but more physically red uh, than usual. Yeah, I got I got sunburn pretty good. It um, There was a lot of interesting... Uh, pieces of data that went along with that trip. One of them was I didn't learn until obviously after I got sunburned was that there, the ozone there is thin to non-existent. And 
I was wearing SPF 50. Really? Um, but I, yeah, I, I, but I did not do it the way the uh, Kiwis, uh, that's what New Zealanders refer to themselves as. Uh, the Kiwis were telling me later, oh, you did it wrong. And they didn't say it that way. That's the way we talk here. They're much, much more polite. But what they did share was if you're, you know, new to the area, you don't know how to do this. And apparently this is the way you're supposed to wear sunscreen. Um, you put it on an hour before you go out. And then right before you go out, you reapply an, another coat. That earlier coat kind of soaks in. And I didn't do that part because I didn't know that's how you're supposed to do it. I know now. Interesting. But, um, I didn't know that. I, yeah, um, I, I just assumed um, the yeah. ozone layer was, except for the one part over Antarctica, was roughly the same everywhere. But mm-hmm. I'll, I, I, I learned that uh, that it isn't. I kind of wow. learned that the hard way. And um, yeah, it's um, it, it's it's interesting. Uh-huh. Uh, it's an interesting data point. No okay. pun intended. You could tell um, a lot. We're we off our game. Effect. We haven't recorded um, <laughs> like a real show like this. Of there, it's way there too we long, go. But we're working on that. Oh, it's been You've too been long. Super busy doing some amazing stuff. Way too long. We are. We promise. It's been it's been fun, and uh, you know, coming up, we've got the um, we uh, there's a there's a conference scheduled in Europe, in London, the UK at SQLbiz. Looking forward to going over there for that. Business has been crazy busy, which is a great problem to have, but still a problem. Um, you've been busy as well, Frank. What have you been up to lately? So I, um, I've been traveling, uh, if you've been paying attention to the data points as well. Uh, although a couple of them, I did have some good bloopers because apparently when you record on a street of a busy city like Seattle, <laughs> there's a lot of noise. Who knew? Um what was actually really cool was um, uh, I went to, we have an internal training conference called MLADS. Uh, not, not MLADS. I got MLADS <laughs> on the brain. Uh, <laughs> um, funny story about that. So I, um, uh, we, we have an internal conference uh, twice a year called Ready. Uh, and then usually you, you go to one, the summer one or the winter one. The winter one is always in Seattle. And it's cool because you're not that far from the mothership. So you get a lot of interaction with product mem- team sure. engineers and stuff like that. So uh, this one was really good because they, it was uh, my first chance. I had a chance to play with right. blockchain, um, which was fun. I uh, got a chance to ask some interesting questions, got a chance to work with some folks who have been worked on some interesting chatbots from the consulting branch of the company. Very cool. And um, not just chatbots, like chatbots you've heard right. of. I'm not going to their names, but they definitely had some interesting um, interesting stuff to do. I also had a chance to attend probably the single best quantum computing lecture I presentation I've wow. ever, ever seen. Hands down. It, well, I've noticed that your blog you've been putting a lot on franksworld.com about quantum computing since. Right, right. And um, it's one of those things where I kind of had my, you know, if you're a long-time listener to the show, you know about the Blues Brothers moment where I've seen the light about data science. And that was at the MLEDS right. conference in 2016 where I realized that AI was the future. Now I realize with 2020 eyes or 2020 vision, hang on. 
Um, that's like, well, it's like a duh moment. But, um, you know, in, back then it wasn't immediately, I think, as clear. Um, mm-hmm. So this time I went and um, there was a lot of talk about not just quantum computing, but quantum inspired computing, which is essentially simulating quantum states on conventional hardware. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And that, that is um, that is a fascinating thing. And, and essentially a quantum computer, if a quantum computer can solve something in say hundreds of seconds, um, a when or a problem that would take classical compute ten thousand years or more. Right. This has the ability to solve the problem with about six months of compute. Wow. You know, give or take months, not millennium. Yeah. Not seconds, yeah. but not millennium. Uh, and and kind of. Well, I, I think I read about this. No, no, I'm probably sorry, on my blog because I've just been fascinated by this notion because uh, you know, you basically write these quantum you, – you write algorithms as if they're running on a quantum computer and they're simulated. Now right. – And that's – and it seemed like that – the thing that I read, and I'm pretty sure it was on your blog, was like th- these these new algorithms are kind of emerging from running you know, these quantum – or quantum code on traditional yes. compute. So it turns out you can simulate um, quantum stuff on traditional hardware. Now, there's a lot of caveats to it, right? So it's not exactly, you know, then the, the iPhone, of the course, iPhone 15 yeah. will not be quantum. Um, you know, um, <laughs> the iPhone 25 might be, uh, but um, I mean, I would say, right we are really in the, you know, a good analogy is we're kind of in the vacuum tube moment of, for this, because we, we, it still takes a lot of, um, uh, it still takes a lot of work to simulate quantum bits. It also takes a lot of work to measure quantum bits. And, you know, while we're going crazy with the soundboard, let's do it, Andy. Let's do a deep dive on quantum. All right. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have to do most of the talking. I'll be the color commentator here because you have you know way more about this than I do. Well, I've been geeking out pretty hard on it since November um, because it's just a fascinating thing. And, and kind of the backstory to this was I did go, and there actually was a data point I recorded literally within minutes of hearing the presentation. Um, yep. and I can't talk about the presentation because everything I'm allowed is kind of, you know, NDA and all that, but, right, right. uh, the, the short of it is it was that, you know, that aha moment, you know, mm-hmm. like this, this, it sounds crazy, but you know, when, when I was hearing it, I was like, oh, this sounds a little far fetched. But then, you know, when, when whoever spoke in 2016 at MLAD said, you know, this you know, AI is going to be infused in every single Microsoft product, even PowerPoint mm. was kind of like, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Right. So wait a minute. Here we get. Yeah, here we are. So yeah. um, the the short of it is is that um, there's an enormous gap in terms of what computers are capable today um, mm-hmm. at the scale of what they're trying to do. And there's a lot of innovation happening, not just at Microsoft, but a lot of companies are trying to figure out how do you optimize uh, data center operations. Um, right. 
some of that is, you know, what are you really trying to do? You're trying to compute, right? You, you've given some set of instructions, you're trying to optimize the compute and you're optimizing for several variables, right? Cost, obviously, energy, uh, yep. energy does factor in the cost, right? Cooling and stuff like that. So there's a lot that goes on into that. And um, the short of it is that there's a huge opportunity for innovation in how processors are designed and built. Oh, interesting. Particularly when it comes to artificial intelligence, because they, they require a lot of compute, particularly neural networks. Um, and we've been lucky in the sense that, you know, GPUs, putting GPUs in the cloud, uh, which at, fir you know, at, at first blush sounds absolutely insane because, you know, graphic processing, why would you need that? Right. Well, it turns out a lot of interesting problems or a lot of the neural network math ultimately boils down to linear algebra right. or matrix math, depending on... Uh, depending on how you want to call it. Turns out that that's essentially what GPUs do. Yeah. At, at, the, at the core level. They are, they are massively parallel um, CPUs, hmm. basically. So it also turns out that uh, if you phrase kind of this, the quantum simulation right, it becomes very much a matrix math problem too. Hmm. Which blew my mind. Yeah. So um, quant quantum compute, I think it's probably horrible phrasing, but quantum fever <laughs> has swept the house because my son is doing a science project. And um, he was, uh, while he was doing Taekwondo, I had my like my industrial strength headphones and stuff on. <laughs> and I was taking an edX class on quantum computing uh, out of Delft University. Okay. And he was asking me like what I was doing while he was doing. I was like, well, I, I was telling him I was taking a, thing on, taking a course on quantum computing. And he looked at me like, what's that? And I kind of explained it. And he's just fascinated by the idea that something can be both zero and one at the same time. Right. It's not traditionally how things are done. <laughs> right, right. Um, and there's a lot of pop science um, descriptions of, well, something is both zero and one at the same time. And that's kind of true, but it's kind of not true. right. Um, which sounds very quantum in and of itself, doesn't it? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so this guy explained this guy explained it really well. Um, um, so basically, and I know I'm gonna I know I'm gonna botch the explanation. So you know, let us know in the comments where I messed up because this is definitely <laughs> something that I'm still learning too. But ultimately, he comes up and he, he, he if you if you think about this right, is that a superposition of states is that something can be both one and zero at the same time. Right. Now that sounds absolutely preposterous, doesn't it? Yeah. How it can does, something yeah. be one and zero at the same time? Right. And clearly if you do the math and you think of it as an integer, clearly it's not possible. Right. right. One plus zero is one. But, and this is the cool thing. And I've done LinkedIn live streams on this too, by the way. Um, where I have a whiteboard and it kind of makes more sense when you see a picture of it is that it doesn't make sense if you do it as integers, but if you draw them as um, vectors, vectors being a kind of a fancy mathematical way to say a line, right? Right. So if you think of a horizontal line that is flat as a zero state, Right, so we'll say those coordinates on the on the line are zero comma one, right? Because mm -hmm. or yeah, 
one comma zero because <laughs> X is first. Sorry. <laughs> um, so if you think of that as the zero state, um, so that'd be one comma zero. That's mm -hmm. the zero state. Then zero comma one, where it doesn't go anywhere on the X, but it's basically a perpendicular line that goes up one unit. Mm -hmm. That's the one state. If you then add up those two vectors, right, zero comma one and one comma zero, you get drum roll. Oh, I don't have a drum roll. Ah. That's too that's too dramatic. <laughs> you get <laughs> one comma one. Right. So if you're trying to visualize this, think of it as a forty-five degree line. Okay. So if you add up Mathematically, the vector of uh, zero comma one and one comma zero, you get one comma one, which you okay. can draw on a Cartesian plane. Remember that from mm -hmm. middle school? <laughs> I do. Uh, would be a forty-five degree line going from zero to one, one up and one down. Right. That is superposition because basically it does hold true to the you know if you add one state one and state zero, you get this kind of state that's both. Because okay. it's, it's not quite one and it's not quite the other. And arguably it's right. going in one it's going in one vector that both of them apply to. Okay. That is essentially the fundamental aspect of what a qubit is. Now, what you're measuring in a qubit is how the how this is being done measured on the real quantum computers, you're measuring a quantum state of a particle. And that is way above my head. <laughs> Some of the particulars right, about that. Right. But it turns out that uh, until something is observed, and observed is a very bad word or not really sufficient word to handle this, yeah. that it exists in two states until it collapses. Now, the upshot of that is that you have the ability to model and simulate much more complicated problems that way. And I'm not talking about who's going to pay their phone bill late, right? Right. I'm talking about the, 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 the stuff in, if you took comp sci is, you know, P does P equal is NP equal P or something like that. Like, you know, kind of like, right, you know, right. things get factorial, like the, the traveling salesman problem, right? How do you figure out the optimal path between all these routes? Right. That is the problem it's meant to solve. And you hear all these ridiculous claims, at least to me, they were ridiculous until I understood why they are possible, is that, you know, it'll solve world hunger, right? That's one of the things that quantum computing is supposed to solve, right? And right. I'm thinking, how, how, how is that going to happen? Like, I don't get it. Yeah. So here's how, yeah. here's how that's going to happen. So it turns out um, all plant life on, on Earth uh, take advantage of something called nitrogen fixation, which sounds really weird. <laughs> sounds yeah. almost Freudian, actually. Um, but yeah. uh, what it is, it basically pulls nitrogen out of the air and it uses it to build proteins, essentially. There, there's probably more to it than that, but that's my $1 version. That's my dollar store version, Andy. All right. <laughs> no one, and, and, and so what? one of the things that's been a real advantage in agriculture over the last maybe 100 or 200 years has been we, we create nitrogen fertilizer to help the soil along. But plants don't necessarily need right. that on their own. 
but we don't really know exactly how they do it. So, well, why can't we simulate nitrogen and, and, and this type of thing? Well, it turns out that simulating the molecules requires an, an enormous amount of compute, 10,000 years or more of compute. But, appar oh, but wow. apparently with a quantum computer, you could simulate that and get the answer in, relative, in a more reasonable time frame. So then we could figure out exactly how plants do that. It could also help in understanding how chlorophyll, and if you don't remember your um, uh, high school biology, um, basically plants don't nearly need to eat because they are solar powered, basically. They take energy right. from the sun, nitrogen from the air, uh, not nitrogen, carbon dioxide from the air and water, and basically convert that into basic sugars. And maybe mm -hmm. more complex sugars too. Um, we do that. Uh, I, I don't know the exact number. I probably should Google it or Bing it, bingle it. Um, it's something like 70% efficiency. The best wow. solar panels right now is we're about 30 some odd percent efficiency. Yeah. So imagine if you could model it. And you get something closer to 70% or maybe even do better than what chlorophyll does on its own. I don't know. I mean, you'll never get to 100%, hmm. but that's that's a whole other physics lecture I don't want to get sure. into. Um, but let's right. say we get we say we double it, right, to 60%, which is probably pretty reasonable. That, ha that would have enormous impact. Yeah. Because I, I, I play around yeah, with solar oh, panels. Yeah. I think they're interesting, but, you know... They're kind of they're kind of a bummer because you have all this like yay I can power stuff from the sun and then when you see what their actual output is it's kind of disappointing. Um, yeah. Don't hate on me. I'm a big fan of solar. <laughs> I I think I think it'll get there, but I don't think it's going to get there. Well, certainly not fast enough. But but I mean that's kind of the idea. Was that yeah. you know it can work. Yeah. So so that that that's really what the so and all these problems you know protein folding. Um, and DNA and genetics, as well as how cancers are formed and how cancers grow, is all a function of protein foldings and, and action of in these truly random environments. So quantum computing would help simulate that. You know, are you, are we going to flip the switch on the power switch on a quantum computer and it's going to solve all our problems? No. And this would get this is the part that excited me, right? And alarmed me actually too. So after attending all this quantum talks and stuff like that, I'm like, well, I'm just going to install Q Sharp <laughs> and my, the Quantum Developer Kit, which is, in case you don't know, is a is a is a language yeah. custom built for quantum computing and, and represent representative of all those states. So I, I you know I installed it and yeah. I was like, okay, well, and I saw the Hello World thing and I'm like, okay, that's pretty basic. And then I started reading about Hadamard gates and like. I had no idea what was going on, honestly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I looked at it, Same I had like, no idea what's going on. And and it turns out that um, the more you kind of the, the poke at it is, is that all the algorithms that we're used to, we learned in school or, or learned on our own, all rely on the binary bit. So at the very fundamental level of the gates, right, The, the if you think of the, the little diagrams of the um, – you know, the AND gates, the OR gates, the XOR gates, and stuff like that. Because you're adding a third layer here uh, or a third state, all of that mm -hmm. 
I wouldn't say it has to change, but you have a whole new classification of gates, at least half a dozen. Okay. That, that open up more logic. Oh, wow. Um, functions at the fundamental level. That ultimately can change the type of algorithms you make, you can write. So I'm talking stuff like sorting or searching or factoring primes, right? Factoring primes is actually a big thing. Right. It probably stresses people out about quantum computing because um, all of our encryption today make it so that if you have a very large number, it takes an awful lot of compute power to, fact to factor in the two primes that made up that big number. And that is kind of the cornerstone of modern encryption. Again, that's probably another lecture. Hmm. Um, <laughs> and I will say that I like to think of myself as smart. But I will say the first I couple of times that I did get into watching quantum lectures and stuff like that, I gave me a headache. Like I could only last about five minutes. But you know what? Yeah. I saw that as a challenge. So now to the point where I can go yeah. 45 minutes without getting a migraine. So if you... Nice. And there's Richard Feynman, who was a pioneer, a physicist pioneer, as well as an awesome educator, um, has a quote, something to the effect of, if you understand quantum computing, you've not been paying attention. Something like that. Like, or qu not quantum computing, quantum physics. I mean, if you understand it. Because <laughs> it, is, it is so counterintuitive... Yeah to the laws of physics yeah, we yeah. know. And that's probably, the laws of physics we know is probably like Newtonian physics, right? You know, you throw a ball, you know, it can kind of do predictable stuff. Einstein added relativity physics, right. which the math works out that if you're going on an airplane going 100, 200 miles an hour and you throw a ball down, um, down the aisle of the aircraft before the TSA guy tackles you, Let's say you throw that ball at, say, 30 <laughs> miles an hour. Newtonian physics would say that that ball is traveling from the point of view of somebody on the ground at 230 miles an hour. But apparently, it's actually, according to Einstein, right. traveling at 229.9999 miles. And that little difference gets bigger as you go closer to the speed of light. Right. In the quantum world... That ball, well, I don't know. I don't even know where to take the analogy. But, I mean, like, if you threw it down the hallway and then, it, you know, the, the TSA guy tackles you, you, you could teleport from one point to the other, right? It's just so, like, outside of our normal range of experience that it is kind of confusing. Yeah. Well, when I think about quantum, and I know this comes into it, um, you know, the words, these are mm -hmm. words that I know, not concepts that I understand. Yes. But things like quantum entanglement, um, quantum tunneling, um, you know, certainly uncertainty, uh, Heisenberg's uncertainty principle. These are the kinds of things that I think about. And I, I'm, I promise I'm just, a, you know, I'm working my way up to being a noob at the popular side of this. Okay. But the, um, that, you know, the thoughts that kind of rumble around in my head uh, about all that is these are the challenges between 
you know, unifying Newtonian and quantum physics. This is the thing that has kept us from even a grand unified theory is because these things just don't make sense. Right, right. The, the rules, so the, the idea of having a one unified rule book for the universe, it doesn't apply once yeah. you get to a smaller level, once you get to the subatomic right, right. level. And that's actually been a problem with, with chip design is because we've gotten these transistors so small, they're down to the size of an electron. And that's about when this, this starts becoming a, a thing. So like electrons can just pass through stuff if it faces enough resistance or if the conditions are right. Again, mm-hmm. not an expert in this. Uh, what excites me from a software developer's point of view and a data scientist's point of view, and it also scares me too, because when I, you know, on a, software developers and anybody who's worked with computers long enough knows, like once you learn the new syntax and language, it's not, and, and, and some of the particulars of the language, it's not really, Python looks an awful lot like Perl. Perl looks an awful lot like Java. You know what I mean? There's different. Yeah, I do. You know, they're, they're, it's just like human language, right? There's there's nouns and verbs in pretty much every. Right. <laughs> there are a lot of other differences right. too, but at the end of the day, it's it's fairly recognizable. When I kind of saw how some of these uh, algorithms in in Q Sharp worked, I was like, this is completely off the wall different. Why mm-hmm. is that? And then as I got and got pulled into that, I'm like, this is interesting. So the short of it is is that this isn't just me going off on a tangent, although that probably is what's happening, is that I think that because of the ability to simulate quantum computers on standard hardware, and when I say standard hardware, I mean not just, you know, the x86 in your chip in your laptop or the ARM type processor in your phone. I mean something like a um uh, maybe like a FPGA or um, field programmable gateway type thing or a GPU. Mm-hmm. something like yep, that yep. something that doesn't require liquid nitrogen to run basically right um that is where i think um this is going to be very real a lot sooner than we think inside of five years why well, I, I i'm with you there frank um one of the things that i gleaned from watching one of your uh, data points uh, even though you couldn't share some of the details, I'm sure the juicy stuff, you know, is right on the bleeding edge. So we weren't able to pick that up. And that's okay. We want you to keep your NDA. Um, the, the, the thing yes. you mentioned, the, um, the nano, and it's got this footprint of, you know, kind of like the Pi and the Arduinos and stuff. And I've been playing with Pies and Arduinos on and off. I'm a, I'm a bit of a weenie when it comes to this sort of stuff. And, the um, you inspired me to go pick one up. I I picked one up yeah, at the end it. of last year. I started tinkering around with it some, and I agree with you. Yeah, go ahead. No, we need to do a deep dive on that one because I want to know more about that myself. Yeah, it's right. Right now, we'd be interviewing Stevie because he's done more on it than I have. Um, but they, they, you know, you you did this. You went over I, the. I want to say the show that I saw, the data point I saw, was probably in the first half of November, and you were talking talking about that. You mentioned a nano and started digging around on it, and I put it on my list of things to check out. 
uh, as we, you know, right after Thanksgiving when everything went on sale. And sure enough, there was a bunch of it that was, you know, half price. And so I picked up a couple of things. It's just not terribly expensive, but I mean, a you know, a yeah. pie, you can Mine buy a decent pie kit for like right? 35, 40 bucks. It was more than that, but it is. Yeah. And I think yeah. we, I got it on sale for, I don't, you know, probably 20% off on that one. But a lot of the accessories like the screens and stuff like that, um, you know, I picked nice. those up for half price, uh, a screen and a case. And um, yeah. And, you know, and I just, at that time I was crazy busy at the end of the year. So I just handed it to Stevie Ray, um, 16 at the time, now 17. And I said, you know, he's been playing with the pies. Another, another aside we'll have to talk about. We, we probably do need to get him on the show because he is submitting his first presentation uh, to a SQL Saturday about how to uh, get what? SQL Server uh, Edge running on a Pi 3. He, uh, he's got that figured out. Yeah, yeah. So we're, yeah, long story. But, um, yeah, we're flying, as we're flying back and forth to uh, New Zealand last week, he's compiling yet another... Uh, kernel of Arch so that he can get a little bit more beef and kind of trim some of the extra cycle stealing stuff off wow. of his his pie version of uh, Linux. <laughs> so, yeah, he's he's doing that now, and you know, and he can he can solder, and he's a he's a junior engineer. But that's that's what his presentation he's going to submit uh, for, and if you know. He, Frank, you know me. We, I'm, I'm, I know I'm taking us off topic here, but he came to me about a year ago and he said, Dad, I want to do some of the stuff you do. I want to do presentations. And he said, can you help me with it? And I said, I can, uh, mostly with good advice. I said, what I'm not going to do is let you cool. ride on my name uh, to get in to speak somewhere. You're going to have to do this yourself. But I'll work with you like I work with others. I've, I've worked with a number of individuals and helped them um, become international presenters at this point. So done that for a long time, kind of quietly. <laughs> but uh, I did, I said, now the first thing you need is pick a good topic and shiny helps. So something new-ish and different. And if you can pick two shiny things and combine them, that's like, that's almost like an automatic win. You know, you'll, you'll get picked just about every time. And he'd been playing with uh, the Raspberry Pis for a while. We've we bought them since version one. We've got a four with four gigs of RAM, which I really don't know what to do with four gigs of RAM on a Pi. How, how crazy is that? What do you do? It's it's like, it's like you know, 40 years ago, I'd had a, a, a gigabyte of RAM. You know, I wouldn't have known, known what to do with it. Same sort of problem. But anyway. Well, I mean, that was a high-end desktop not that long ago. Yeah. No, really. Um, I mean, maybe 10, 10, 11 years ago, that was a high-end desktop. Absolutely. And now it's, you know, it's gone three orders of magnitude, you know, so, and it just keeps jumping. But he, I told him that he, we talked about the Pi, we talked about SQL Server 2017 was available on Linux. That's, that's the other shiny. And he started working on it and he has literally beat through this now for months and months on end. He's put probably eight, nine months into this, um, failing over and over again, one step forward, two steps back, but he's got it now. He's got SQL Server running. I think it's a version of SQL Server 2012 running on that Pi 3. Um, and yeah, he's been, he plays around with it now. Right. So that's why I handed him the Nano and I said, here, <laughs> play, play with this. See what you guys sent him to a, a site that you had referenced. Um, there was a, uh, 
teacher um, who had, and I want to say this is at the NVIDIA site. I'm not positive of that. But um, yeah, for those who don't know, the, the, what the device we're talking about, I realize I don't think we said the full name. I did. I so did. if you wanted to use your search engine of choice, it is the Jetson Nano mm. by NVIDIA, the video game card, the GPU company. Yep, that's right. And I, I totally forgot the Jetson part. But it's uh, yeah. they make a bunch of these uh, in that Nano family. Um, the Jetson is a small one and therefore less expensive. But there was a... Um, a, a teacher who used this to do the roll call by uh, matching faces of the students oh, yeah. using a camera hooked into a Jetson Nano. And he matched the faces with their pictures in the school directory. And he stopped calling roll. And I was like, that is that, that we could do, right? We could, we've got little cameras laying around. We could, there's one that plugs right into the board. We picked one up. You can do the screen that'll show the matching occurring graphically um and if somebody walks in the house and you know it can speak to them or it'll ask them their name right. if it knows who they are it'll say you know hello andy or hello christy but if it doesn't know it could say who are you and store their the idea was you know store the picture we're not there but it was a thought we could adapt the program that he's using for um you know for calling the role there so that's why I gave it to Stevie. Mm -hmm. The first thing he did was he fried. I think the first thing he fried was the um, was the uh, wireless card, the Wi-Fi. So we got another one of those. And I think the next thing was a camera. I don't know if we picked up a camera yet. So we're kind of waiting um, until I deem it, um, you know, that I have enough money to go buy another one of those at full price. <laughs> so, but that's what he's doing. Yeah, go ahead. So, so I have two dumb questions about this. Does um, does the Nano have onboard Wi-Fi, or, and does it have an onboard camera, or does it just have like just a good old fashioned USB ports? A great question, and it's kind of like um, like the Arduinos and the Raspberry Pis in that it has these connectors, and then they they sell accessories. Um, they're standard I/O, and you can just hook them, you know, different things into them. And get them going. So it did not have Wi-Fi and it did not have a camera. We had to buy those separate. It did not have a screen. We picked one of those up separately as well. And um, yeah, all of that stuff, Frank. Um, you know, over time, what it's oh, before we get the, sorry before we get the hate mail. <laughs> some yes, some versions of the Pi do now have integrated Wi-Fi. Ah, I, you're Just right. I think my four does. In fact, uh, three four definitely and three. Is it 3B? Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it is 3B. Um, but I hadn't, I mean, we hadn't done a lot with the, um, I hadn't done a lot with the Wi-Fi on those. I've been using them uh, like the Kano kits with the Pies. Those are great, by the way. Uh, cool. Great for getting kids into this. They're about a hundred bucks. Um, and it, and and we, we got some a few years ago for, for the kids. They ate it up. And, you know, it's just, you're doing the same thing I'm doing, Frank. We have, you know, we have kids in the like six to 17 range right now. We're just throwing as much tech and programming at them as we can. Um, because I'll speak for me, I'm, I'm getting older and I want somebody to take care of me so I can fish more. That's really my goal in all of this. I need to catch more fish, but these kids, yeah, you're in my kids. You're in my kids are awesome at this. 
I was just going to say. They just, oh, yeah, and, and, and the funny thing is, so. is that um, my wife's an engineer. So we're a two engineer household. So it definitely has some interesting, there's some interesting uh, weirdness about that. Goodness. <laughs> but it's a good thing. I think that's a good thing. Uh, but, you know, my, my older son cool. is always building stuff. And my younger one is seems like he's going to be following that same thing. And you know, <laughs> I think a it's a thing. good time. You know, when I was a kid, yeah. uh, you know, all this talk about people who are not encouraged to go into STEM. When I was a kid, we were the we mm-hmm. were the misfits, we were the weirdos. Um, you know, and I think that you know the, the future economy is going to depend on folks that um, who are comfortable with this. Not just can do it, but just they kind of think naturally in this. Oh, and, absolutely. Um, I also think that, you know, if you kind of look at, you know, right now, as a, we say this, the coronavirus is kind of running its way out of China. And if you, yeah. you know, Andy and I are both big fans of Nicholas Nassim Taleb. Um, I think when the dust settles from this, um, smart countries, smart people yeah. are going to say, you know, Having all our manufacturing in one place yes. is a very fragile system. And I know that there's some controversy because you know various political figures have kind of said rather insensitive things along those lines. <laughs> um, but um, one, if you expect sensitivity from politician, you're going to be disappointed more than you're not. Um, two... Um, the, I mean, it's just it's just not a it's not a sustainable system because sustainable systems have to be sure, if not resilient, ideally anti fragile. And you know, I, I I I do express a long true term goal of having Taleb on the show. <laughs> uh, but if you're listening, Mister Taleb, yeah, um, or is he a doctor? No, I don't think he has a PhD because he. Doctor, whatever title you want to use, sir, we will we will call you. Um, <laughs> if you're listening, <laughs> we want you on our show. If you're listening, man, we'd love to have you on the show. Um, you know, we don't need your phone number. We just do it through Zencaster. <laughs> it's completely anonymous. <laughs> just saying. Um, but. Um, he has some very interesting thoughts about, um, right. you know, kind of, uh, you know, frag- fragility in systems and that kind of evolution eventually kind of whittles away in at least living systems. Um, a good example is um, if you've ever seen, I don't think he uses this in the book, but I, I've heard it elsewhere, was if you see Kung yeah. Fu masters or karate masters or insert name of martial art master in there, when they break through those boards, when they smash their head through concrete, if an untrained civilian were to do that, they'd end up in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Part of what makes them stronger is that they have micro fractures that ultimately heal stronger. So they build that up right. over time. So the <clears throat> exposure to the stress actually makes the bones or, or whatever stronger to where they can do mm-hmm. things that look superhuman. And that's kind of that's anti fragile right there. You not only you know resilient implies that you can take on stress and go back to where you were. Anti fragile is right. kind of like well, you take on stress, duress, and injury, and you actually come out stronger. 
Right, right. And it's a right. very, I mean, he does a great job in his book called Anti-Fragile. Yeah. Um, making that case. And then he continues on in subsequent writings about, um, you know, he, he builds on that case. Right. It's one of the things I love about it. It's very engineering type thinking. Yes. Um, and, and applied it's, it's not just math for the sake of math or stats for the sake of stats. It's actually very, um, first off, it's very well reasoned and he, he spends more time, I think, identifying misapplications <laughs> than he does applications. He kind of builds his case for proper application out of these negative cases, um, you know, the ways not to do it. Yeah, I think hundreds of but years from now. That term, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, you Hundreds of years from now, I think we'll look at him as kind of a, you know, you think of the great philosophers, you know, his name will be in there. Descartes, oh, Kant, um, Nietzsche, like, you know, the way we refer to, yeah. to them now, I think Taleb will be one of those names. I totally agree. He may agree. be mad about that, and, but that's um, another story. <laughs> <laughs> so if that makes you mad, just forget we or said Well, you that. could come on the show and explain why that makes you mad. How about that? <laughs> Boom. David better. Always thinking, Frank. Always I try. thinking. I try. <laughs> But yeah, these the whole idea of um, you know of, of just having two sites—that's something Musk has has glommed onto as well with the idea of you know what if something tragic happens on Earth, we need a self-sustaining colony on some other planet. Mars makes the most sense, um, and, and so does the Moon. Actually, we need another celestial body that can. Uh, sustain humanity just in case something really bad happens. Well, the other thing too was also an interesting thought because I was thinking about this the other day was if you look at the, you know, the Allies policy post-World War II was to build up Germany and Japan. So you kind of, if you think mm -hmm. about it as that was the ideal anti-fragile system, right? Because you have industrial bases, North America, Absolutely. Europe, and Asia. Um, yeah. For one reason or the other, the industrial base has kind of shifted not just to one continent, but one country. Um, mm -hmm. and, 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 and kind of, yeah. I think, I mean, obviously what's going on is horrible and it's probably going to get a little worse before it gets, uh, the most optimistic thing I think at this point to say is it's going to get a little bit worse before it gets better. Um, there's plenty of yeah. people that'll tell you the even worse story, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I would say that, you know, hopefully at the end of this, people will start thinking, you know, maybe we need less centralized, manufacturing yeah yeah it's not a bad thing and that's one of the things that's happened in um you know in our in our recent economic slash political climate here in the u.s is that uh, some manufacturing has returned and i have to look this up frank but there was a really interesting book that i read about how uh, it was about the united states and it said, you know, basically the point it was making was when we outsourced a lot of our manufacturing, that's not all that went. Interesting. And we lost some, we lost some other positive uh, aspects. And, and this is, you know, this is a stretch of an analogy, but we recently had a, um, it's an election year here. It's February. The primaries and caucuses are going on. It's 2020. And, we recently had someone make a, 
what I consider to be a, I'll, I'll call it short-sighted and oversimplified description of farming. <laughs> and I say this as a resident of a town named Farmville. And, it, you know, of course, it it's back backlashed on him from every possible angle. Um, but, you know, he, he made it sound like, well, you know, this is just easy. Anyone can do it. And that's just not accurate, not for the modern, not for modern agriculture. And I've been doing agricultural automation and that sort of related work since, gosh, the late eighties, you know? Um, And it just, you know, it was just, we've had instrumentation. We've had um, all sorts of uh, data collection going on in agriculture. And if you read about some of the automation that's taking place now uh, in, in farms in the Midwest, well, it's doing the same sort of, it's having the same sort of impact, I'll say it that way, as automation is having in the data world, where um, back in the day, you'd have, you know, a, a physical farmer per so many acres of land. And, you know, when the when the tractor came along, then the amount of land that a farmer was able to farm grew because of that automation. Now you've got a, a machine to help you manage that. and we're seeing kind of that next leap where the machines can be uh, either autonomous or semi-autonomous, right? I mean, we, everybody talks about um, the, you know, the Tesla truck or self-driving cars and all of that sort of stuff. Frank, you've talked about it with right. your, your Honda, the new Honda you've got. And where some of these leaps are going to occur is in off-road <laughs> and agriculture is a fine example of that, where you can just program the uh, or just send out, you know, launch, if you will, the combine, and it'll Absolutely. go. And you have a lot less traffic. You have um, a lot less yeah. external factors to deal with, um, yeah. and you have a certain amount of tolerance there. I'm not a farmer. Um, I, I I lived in the same yep. city where that guy was mayor. <laughs> um. <laughs> I, I think, honest, Frank, I think they're all doing their best. And there's something oh, no, every no, single no. one of them says. I just talking a little bit about politics. There's something something every single one of them says that I look at it and go, that's a really great idea. And then I, there's something else. I saw it. I saw man. I wasn't on the factory floor, but I was like in the little visitor's booth watching the, the sausage. Get made. I'm like, oh, my God. I get you. But, you know. What you're saying, though, about this, I mean, think about how this could impact. And one of the things is if it's autonomous and it has the right instruments and it's okay, it's far, you know, the fields are vast now out there in the Midwest, especially. Um, th- who's to say they can't oh, run yeah. it? I mean, there's all, there's all you, sorts you know? of unintended consequences this is going to have. I mean, you know, one thought I had was while you were saying that is, well, why the hell can't I get like an a- autonomous thing to mow my lawn? You know? I mean, there are. There exactly. are things where people have built their yeah. own on YouTube and stuff, but you know, I have an acre, and um, you know, when we looked at getting an yeah. electric lawnmower, uh, let's just say the battery tech's not there. Um, you know, if you have a third of an acre not or less, it, it's probably yeah. a no-brainer to get an electric one. But uh, beyond that size, it becomes yeah. a kind of a logistical nightmare. But what if, you know, what if? it would every day or every couple of days or X amount of days, it would go out and it would do a third of it. And then the next day it would do a, th- a third of it. And then the next day it would do a third of it. I mean, it, 
uh, or go back to its mothership base yeah. and then kind of plug in and then get another battery and then go out and, you know, in such a way that, because the problem wasn't so much the range of it, the problem was the mechanics around the range of it. Like, I don't know about you, but it takes a lot to motivate me to move my lawn. Again, I didn't grow up in New York City. Uh, yeah. Actually something yeah. that um, <laughs> uh, is, is, is top of mind. Uh, well, you have two built-in lawnmowers there, and they will want to do yeah, this in a few years. Know. They probably want to do it now. I'm not convinced. I can barely get them into the dishwasher now. So, well, that's different. They're, that's they're not driving sector. Yeah. You get a little lawn tractor. I, I'm telling you, they're gonna they're gonna be all over that. But I think I think what you're describing could be called a yard buck. Oh, for real? So it is actually commercial. It's like a yellow. Roomba for the yard. Oh, oh, you sounded so convincing. <laughs> I don't know. I'm making up words. I'm I'm published. Uh, Frank, I'm, I'm it. published. It's a license to it. spell. Uh. <laughs> I am published too. That's right. You're published too. Um, so, but you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm, somebody's probably already built this already. Uh, something like this. But yes, I, I'm. I'm sure there's tech Actually, out there you already. You can get your son, the Jetson but Nano. That's a great, it's a great it's idea. Make it happen. It's not <laughs> like, that's the cool thing that, you know, the, this is not an impossible thing. It's just, it's just not been built yet. The Lego parts are totally there. It's, it's a bit like watching like something from right. Ikea, right? Like you see it in your head and mm-hmm. in the hieroglyphs that are kind of Swedish hieroglyphs, I call them the instructions. And um, <laughs> oh wait, um, it's been a while since we used that. And I mean, it's yeah. just, it just you have to go and do it, you know. Yeah. So we we mentioned a lot of good books Absolutely. and stuff. Um, Audible is a sponsor. If you go to thedatadrivenbook.com, you'll be routed to there. And when you sign up for a subscription. We get a little pat on the back, enough to buy a latte, and it helps uh, <laughs> support the show. We also have a number of new t-shirt designs too, Andy. <laughs> yep. So um, that yeah, also we- helps support the show. I have one that, uh, if you're familiar with the thing, with the the big red thing that says Supreme. I have uh, I have a version I put together called it says Bayesian. Mm. Um. And uh, I was on a LinkedIn oh, conversation like with some folks who were um, uh, it's a huge contingent of data scientists and AI people up in Boston. And in Boston, Dunkin' Donuts is called Dunkies. Cool. So somewhere in this conversation thread on LinkedIn, it was something to the effect of too bad there's no Python library to get donuts delivered to you or something like that. Something like that. And I was like, pip install Dunkies. And everybody's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I'm like thinking like, you know, that'd be a cool t-shirt. So we have a t-shirt now. If you search on Amazon, it's in the UK store. It's in the Amazon uh, Deutschland store and for Germany. And uh, it's now in the US store too. So just search for PIP install donkeys. And there's another one. Quantum Barbershop is another one I made. Um, this is pretty funny. Just another creative outlet. You get to geek out with these. I know the uh, the guy with the SSIS T-shirt nice. will appear at various um, six Saturdays. Yeah, yeah, he's based in Tennessee. Yeah, he was in. Uh, 
I think he was in Atlanta nice. last year. Nice. I was down there, and he came so, up to me, and no I was like, we're talking about that it's, shirt. An, it's, a, it's a T-shirt that says SSIS, <laughs> but it's in the style of the ACDC logo. We did have the Kiss logo, but there were some graphical problems yep. with it, and I'll just leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> no, that actually wasn't it. That actually it's not wasn't fair it. for others to um, own a font. I'm just going to no, say that. It, if you, <laughs> I'm surprised oh, Gene Simmons got away with it. Oh no! But okay. if the 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 font looks an awful lot like uh, something from World War II, when you, so when you have the two S's together, when it's Kiss, you can kind of look the other oh, way. But it looks really weird when it just said SSIS, and it was just like. Somebody complained about it, and I'm like, yeah. I'm like, really? And I kind of looked at, it, I was like, yeah, that's not that's not the look we were going for. Yeah, you did the right. So then I changed it to ACDC. Yeah, and then and then so the same True. guy complained about that one too, and I'm like, really? The ACDC works. Yeah, yeah, the ACDC definitely works. Well, now, you know, you know once. Once it's an outlier, so, twice. But, I mean, uh, that's a pattern. Even the stop clock is right twice a day. So I mean, like he, he was right about he was right about the SSA uh, yeah. about the Kiss logo. So, which is a shame because that would have been that would it was an epic looking T shirt. Connotations aside, he was. But um, the um, the other thing was yes, I forgot what I was saying. Oh, and and the Supreme logo, it's weird. It's in the Amazon Germany store and the Amazon UK store. The Amazon US store would not approve it because they thought it looked too much like um, the official one. Which is funny because if you search on Amazon, there's like hundreds of other shirts, other designs that were also approved. So, okay. You know, whatever. So that's why it's on Teespring, which is a much relaxed <laughs> thing. It's called parody, it's protected, fair use. Um, just putting it out there. But uh, yes. no, I mean, it, it does help support the show and, you know, you get something out of it, <laughs> physical, tangible. And um, with the Audible uh, sponsorship, you get something out of it for your head. Yeah. You know, whether it's any one of Taleb's books. And uh, it's called the Inserto, right? Is that what it is? The Inserto? Where all of his books. Yeah. Ultimately, his goal is to have all of his books kind of be part of one big master and work. I think so. Um, and, um, having read two or three of them, I can kind of see the pattern emerging. So I'm looking forward to his next one. Same here. Yeah. And he's working on it because if you follow him yeah. on Twitter, uh, every now and then he posts screenshots of the manuscripts, uh, and kind of some of them he's asking for feedback. He's doing a request for feedback. Um, but, um, yeah, and it's, it, you know, it seems totally legit. I mean, he's just trying to get people's response <laughs> to something. Sometimes um, people will volunteer their feedback, and often it doesn't go well. I'm just, just going to say it's kind of like arguing with uh, Linus Torvalds. Um, you're, you are not going to win. <laughs> just... <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. Um, yeah. so it's an interesting, uh, interesting things that are happening in the world, technology, otherwise, um, 
we are about at the hour and um I do. You have a slow connection but, out in farm. Yeah, I think Frank, this was a great idea. We um, so. we talked about doing more of these shows because <laughs> the very first one we did where it was just you and me, we thought nope, people are going to hear there's no guests and they're going to go away. And it was probably the most popular show there for a while. Um, we get crazy feedback. I'm like, who would want to hear us? It was, here yeah. Talk about yeah. Stuff? But uh, I, I don't know. It's either that or. Apparently we're smart. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what else it could be, but I'm thankful. I'm very thankful that people um, do listen to the show uh, when we have guests and when we don't. And <laughs> I, I love these chats uh, where we uh, where, where we hang out like this. We actually wanted to do a show just you and me about three weeks ago, and just our schedules were just nuts. Um, and it wasn't on this, I don't think. I don't think this was the topic. We were just talking, hanging out and talking. We were like, we need to stop right now and get on get on Zencaster and start a show. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I know. I was I was in my car using the hands free, of course. <laughs> uh, and we were talking. And I was like, damn it, we need to record this. <laughs> yeah. But um, – so you all have a good day. We, we, we love doing these shows. We, we want to have guests on the show. We have a number of people lined up, but with you traveling around the planet, me traveling it's around hard. North America, it's, hard. Um, <laughs> it's just been really hard to coordinate our two schedules, let alone a third person's too. So that's something that we, yep, yep, I mean, yep. we need to um, we will figure get it. that one Promise. out. Um, we will. Probably before we, a real quantum I would be willing be to phone. say a 99.9% chance <laughs> that we will beat quantum computing to your phone with a with a really cool guest go. we've been talking with since before the end of the year. So, yeah. My, what's really funny <clears throat> is, and I'll leave on this note, is that there's somebody, a mutual acquaintance of Andy and I's, and someone who has been on the show, I sent him an email and he wrote me back with this random thing. And I'm like, <laughs> What the hell? <laughs> so I I I did the random thing that mm. was that was asked in the email, trying not to give too much away. And then I wrote in response underneath it, like That's with a probability funny. table of, you know, you sent this, you know, one option was you sent it by right. mistake. That was like, you know, it's like 10% probability. And then the other one was like, this was a Mr. Miyagi style karate kid challenge. <laughs> Or, you know, to see if I would do it, you know, wax on, wax off. But in the process of waxing on and waxing off, you you learn how to block kicks and stuff like that. That's so, right. You know, that's pretty funny. That's awesome. And I think I sent you that table that I made up. I was like, I believe you did. Awesome. And uh, he didn't say anything about it, so I'm assuming he got a chuckle out of it. Hopefully. Hopefully. And if you're hearing that noise, that means that there's once again home improvement work going on in my house. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think that's a good cue to end the show. What do you think, Andy? I like it. Awesome. All right. TheDataDreamBook.com and just search for PIP Install Donkeys on Amazon or follow the link on our website that says, uh, I think, T-shirts, uh, T-shirts and gear or something like that. All right. And with that, you have a great day. Thanks for listening to Data Driven. Don't just listen, become a data driver by going to datadriven.tv to sign up to join the community, access to special events, tips and tricks, and more. Sign up today at datadriven.tv.